Okay. Hello and welcome to Weird State. I'm Kate. And I'm Allie. And we're two married lesbians here to take you on a weird and wacky tour of the United States. We are still in Alaska, coming back at you after like two months off because me, Kate, I've had just like a weird eight-week case of laryngitis. Don't worry, got it cleared up by a doctor. As you can hear, my voice is great now. Um, so we're back. Currently recording podcasts. From the comfort of our own home. From the comfort of our own home. <laughs> During quarantine. Mid-quarantine. <laughs> and we hope you're listening from the comfort of your own home, too, if that is possible for you. Uh, everything is scary and bad. Aren't you excited? Not so much, but we're all in this together, and we're going to get through it. So, yeah, Alaska murders. Yeah, let's talk about some horrible true crime stuff that will make you feel better about your own life. Who goes first? Could you go first? Sure. Thank you. Also, want to give a shout-out to our, all our friends out there, um, one of which recently said, wow, I listened to your podcast and it's actually good. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> thanks for that. If you listen to our podcast and think it's actually good, please like, subscribe, comment, find us on Instagram, email us, anything. Thanks to the 30 people who do follow us on Instagram. We appreciate Ooh. you. Anyway, so I guess I'll start. Uh, it's going to take a lot of scrolling and please edit shit out. So I found a lot of varying information about these murders and they're called lots of different things, but I found a really good article about them on medium.com written by Robin Bearfield uh, in 2018. So I'm going to pull most of my source material from that. So these were called the North Pole murders. Dun, dun, dun. So they were before CODIS, before VICAP, two things that are wide databases that the FBI uses. States themselves had no systematic method of sharing evidence from violent crime scenes with each other, which seems bad. It does seem bad. And I, I yeah, agree. It was bad. No national database existed, so it made it super difficult for investigators to track predators who cross state lines, which is how a lot of killers and serial killers back in the day just went all over the United States, like, undetected for a long time. Super chill to road trip. So the last name of this serial killer I'm going to be talking about, I think, deserves a mention, first off, because it's Bunday. Oh, yikes. Bunday. Oh. Not Bundy. It's like you're saying Bundy with a weird accent. Like the beach in Australia? No, not like Bondi. It's like, it's literally Bundy with an A in the middle of the D and the Y. So like Canadian Bundy. Bunday! Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like Monday with a B, but I just found that to be a weird coincidence, especially because he was kind of operating within a similar time period. What, what time period is it? 70 80s? Okay, that's a long time period for murders to happen in. I don't like it. There was this string of actually closely spaced murders of young women near Fairbanks, Alaska. Hey, we're in Alaska! Ooh. And I'm drinking a coffee stout because I didn't want to drink straight whiskey. Sorry to all of my Alaskan friends. I just imagine you drink lots of whiskey and maple syrup. That's probably not true. And uh, may I say I had a beer picked out that was a nugget that was uh, the name of the beer. I thought it was funny because, you know, gold nuggets. Uh, but I finished it before we started recording, so... And it Oops. doesn't taste like chicken nuggies. It's... What? <laughs> like a brown ale. Why would it taste like chicken nuggets? It's called a nugget. I don't oh my know. god, now I want chicken nuggets. Yeah, they do sound I wish <laughs> we could just make some. Uh, it's uh, the Great American Takeout Day, right? Vegan uh, chicken uh, nuggets. Yeah. Anyway, so, <clears throat> back from my chicken nugget fantasies. Uh, so there was a string of closely spaced murders of young women. Always, always there's young women. Yeah, love it. It's uh, good to be a demographic. Go on out by yourself. 
in the wilderness. Anyway, near Fairbanks, late 1970s, early 80s. These abductions and murders just like stopped. Like whoever it was, the police were like, oh, did he chill out? Did he die? I don't know. But state troopers actually were like, you know what? He probably moved somewhere else, but we don't have a database. We can't track him. So not our problem. Some old fashioned sleuthing had to be done to trace this monster 4,000 miles to his new home and hunting grounds. That's direct quote from the article. Don't you love it? Ew. So let's let's talk about North Pole, Alaska for a minute. Is that the name of a town or like? It's a real place. But that's the name of it? It's not like the North Pole? I mean, I think it's both. It's the city of North Pole, Alaska. I think they talk about this in Balto at some point. I never saw Balto. Oh. Yeah. There's a dog in that one. There sure is a dog (laughs) in that one. But so the city of North Pole, Alaska, actually about 1,700 miles south of the geological North Pole. Uh, but the geologic geologic. Mm. this says geologic okay i'm i don't know words i mean i'm sure geographic is also probably right i don't know i don't know but you know the people in town there still are just like hell yeah we're the actual north pole don't pay attention to any of those geologists or geographers we it's us fuck your compasses yeah so lots of the streets have holiday names stores sell christmas themed items year round it's like cutesy and they're like we live in alaska we gotta have a bit yep so well um, guess what now you have a murder bit that's yes, not what probably not, not what they were going no, for not what they were going for but the biggest attraction in town is a large gift shop named santa claus house it has the world's largest fiberglass statue of santa that's bad <laughs> i hate that well they love it and it sits south of fairbanks and stretches between fort wainwright and ellison air force base you know lots of military bases up in alaska you really don't think about it but it's true it's a huge state and the military is like let's capitalize on that lots of land in the late 70s and early 80s just as you guessed it murder comes to town instead dun, dun, dun. of instead of santa claus it's, it's murder i should find a better sound effect for that but you know uh, yeah. maybe just start hauntingly singing jingle bells oh yikes oh what's that? that what's that um, the children laughing song oh yeah the one where it's just <laughs> what's okay wait i can't you think want of me it. to sing it uh if you want <laughs> literally it's just like children laughing children laughing children laughing children ha 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 yeah it's terrible i never want to do that again um anyway so murder <laughs> comes to the north pole instead of santa there's this 19 year old her name's glinda i don't know we're just going we're just going with these santa and glinda fairies and santa claus i don't really know but no i'm sorry glinda anyway she's 19 and Mm, she vanishes from her home in north pole on august 29th 1979 she's a newlywed and she's also the daughter of an alaska state trooper so i kind of feel like i don't know if this guy knew this but i kind of feel like that's a that's a power play right there you know if he knows that her and her husband had a small tiny baby Fuck. Yeah. Come on. And Wh- so, why are you pick the saddest? I don't. I don't know. I'm sorry. They're all sad. According to her husband, he arrives home on August 29th. The baby's there, but Glinda's not. And he's mm-hmm. like, "This is super strange because she seemed happy. She has no reason to just run away from home or just like leave. There's no note. What's going on?" So he calls the police, and he's like, "Hey, this is super strange." And they look around, and they're like, "Hmm, there's really no evidence to suggest foul play. She must have just left you in Alaska in Fairbanks because there's so <laughs> many other places to go, right?" I love it. I love that logic that deems that she gets no further attention, and it's. 
fine. Well, unfortunately, the following October, her body is found in a gravel pit near a place called Moose Creek on the Richardson Highway, which is not far from one of those bases I mentioned before. Elson, oh, shit. El- he... Elson Air Force Base. Is he a military? We'll get there. Oh, and 22 miles so south creepy. of Fairbanks. That's so creepy. So she'd been shot in the face. <sighs> And troopers found a 38 caliber pis- pistol cartridge near her body. Fortunately, the Emmy said no evidence suggesting any sexual assault. And everybody and their grandma was like, yo, it's the husband. It's gotta be the husband. It was him. Oh, poor guy. Because he failed a lie detector test. Which is only 33% accurate yeah. at the best of times. And you can be, like, super nervous and your heart's racing because, like, that's a weird situation and you can fail it. But even his own father-in-law, the state trooper, was like, yeah, I think it's you. Uh, But obviously they find no evidence to arrest him. But his life's fucking ruined. Um, it doesn't really, I I don't think we get a follow-up on that in this article, but I I think he, 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 newsflash, it's not him, spoilers, he eventually gets cleared, so I'm sure he's, he's okay after that. I hope he's doing okay out there. (laughs) Okay, so now let's get to Doris. So Doris Oring, so the next year, almost a year to the date, but like a little shy. Not suspicious at all. June 11th, so like a couple months off 1980 so she's 11 her name is doris doris and her older brother are riding bikes together in north fall she gets ahead of her brother and then her brother catches up to her and sees that she's talking to this strange dude in a blue car and he propped open the hood of the car and seemed to be having engine problems so he's talking to an 11 year old about it yeah really like, strange uh, fucking fuck. so but you know it's the 80s right we like in the national consciousness yet obviously a database doesn't exist hmm. a, a lot of people are like in their happy bubbles because the news is not focused in on murders and all this terrible stuff happening you know we don't have an information superhighway like we do now with the internet where everything's at our fingertips so like people feel pretty secure and good in their neighborhoods and yeah kids what? talk to adults because they're like hey you're a safe person right you're an adult I mean stranger danger is still a thing but yeah you, you know that John Mulaney skit like I can I remember when children became special like yeah they, uh, yeah yeah, yeah that's like, what this is reminding me of. Well, and also, like, I, I feel like, you know, it seems like North Pole is a pretty small town, and so everyone probably trusts each other, like, left their doors mm. unlocked. Probably that type of thing. I don't know. I don't... Yeah. So, so the brother pulls up. When he gets there, he's, like, a little older than Doris, you know, so, like, firmly a teen boy. The dude shuts the hood, jumps in the car, and, like, floors the gas and speeds <laughs> away, which... Not that's suspicious. Sus. Like, yeah. you obviously didn't oh, have man. engine problems. What were you doing? Right? Ugh. This is just good, good thing my is, gag reflex is just getting a workout right now. The good now. thing is is the brother sees this dude, gets a good look at him, and obviously later is able to describe him to police sketch artists. And he also, you know, is old enough and smart enough to tell the police, hey, I think this dude's clothes that he was wearing to me looked like an Air Force uniform. A plus, kid. You did good. So two days after this encounter where Doris is talking to this guy in the blue car, she disappears. Mm. And her bike is found hidden in the bushes along Badger Road, which is near her home in North Pole. A witness reports seeing a small blue car come screaming around the corner at an intersection near Badger Road and said that the driver quote, seemed preoccupied and was wrestling with something or someone in the seat next to him, unquote. Oh. Damn it, people. So this is straight out of Memories of a Murder. Yeah. Police believe the attacker hid in the bushes on the side of the road and waited for Doris to ride her bike past his hiding spot. Once she got close, he jumps out of the bush, grabs her off the bike, Fuck. 
and tosses the bike into the ditch. See that? Okay, if you haven't seen Memories of a Murder, it's an amazing Bong Joon-ho movie, and there is this really haunting sequence where this faceless serial killer comes charging out of tall grass on all fours, and it will haunt your dreams if you see the movie. It's literally all fours, like he's running like a horse or like a spider monkey, and he just like lo- it's it's the it's like something that you somehow for some reason forget about every single time. Like you know it's there, but you forget how terrifying it is and you're like yeah that's a good movie because you know Bong Joon-ho he he does just make good movies Parasite anyone see that anyone fucking great but like I feel like every time I watch Memories of Murder it scares me oh no it's it's horrific it's like and I'm like how did I uh, forget that that wow yeah so that's what I'm imagining yeah it's not great that parallel very bad um but also if I may side note yes we also pick cases with similarities again oh Um, we keep doing this we gosh we're married for some reason I don't know I'm so sorry I'll just uh I'll shout out the similarity point when we get there in mind so I don't spoil it you know Doris's brother after this all happens is like shit ah and gives the whole description to the police and is Mm. like won't drop it that he's like hey I am like I know I'm a teen but I I am pretty really sure that dude that was being weird and shady that I saw my sister talking to was wearing an air force uniform then the other witness who was like oh yeah that was so weird this car came screaming around the corner and mm-hmm. the, the driver was wrestling someone but i just i didn't have a care no <laughs> was like yeah i'm pretty sure that the driver of that car had a military style haircut so state troopers were like hmm yeah my next air force yeah, military haircut two and two together mm. yeah so they asked security at Wilson air force base for a list of blue cars registered to drive on base super okay. smart good yes. job i was about to be like what stopped them from asking around the bases because clearly they didn't but him, you know but, what's yeah. super popular in the 70s and 80s? What color cars? Blue. Fucking blue. So the Air Force is like, here you go. 550 names of people who owned registered vehicles that po- possibly matched the rough description of the car that the troopers provided to them. Uh, investigators were obviously like, she could still be alive. We really want to find her. But there were no fingerprints or other forensic evidence. So they're like, where do we even start? Troopers at this time had not cleared Glinda's husband for her murder. Mm. So so they decided to go back, this poor guy, and question him about the abduction of Doris. Oh god, what a nightmare. So they give him another polygraph test, and this time the polygrapher is like, inconclusive. This frustrated state troopers, they had no physical evidence pointing to him, but he couldn't pass a lie detector test when questioned about the murder of his wife or the abduction of Doris. So they were like, you know what, maybe our polygrapher just isn't that good. We're in Alaska, so they're like, let's get an expert. But maybe, maybe your true test is bad no no but like so they get they get an expert from like the fbi or wherever they get like a true like top-notch dude and he comes in and after 10 minutes the expert is like hey my dudes guess what that guy has an irregular heartbeat oh shit oh god that's awful he just has an irregular heartbeat it's his heart so he can never produce a passing polygraph test result because his heart is has an extra beat or some shit hey like me yeah like you so he's like so the test results from someone like that will always be classified as inconclusive or failing and then the troopers were like oh Oh, our 
our bed. Sorry, sir. And they dismissed him as a suspect. But I mean, like, now you're like your own father-in-law is like, oh, yeah, I definitely uh, maybe think you murdered my daughter. Um, That's got to be something yeah, good I'm to walk sure around Yeah, I'm sure that life. was, I hope that he ended up living a long and happy life after this and everyone was nice to him. I also hope he was a good person. Like, I hope he's not like, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway. You know what I mean. All those hopes we have. So I have more women to tell you about. Oh, but are they women or are they 11-year-old girls? Women and girls. Let's put it that way. Mm. So we have Marlene and Wendy. Troopers still trying to work this out. They're like, okay, we have a murder here. We have a disappearance of an 11-year-old girl. Are they connected? We don't know. And then on January 31st, which is seven months after someone snatches Doris, 20-year-old Marlene Peters disappears. So we're escalating in the timeline. We are. Mm. So here's the thing. Y'all, we're all staying inside right now. Good place to be sometimes. Marlene was trying to hitchhike. She's hitchhiking because in the 70s and 80s, that was like... Again, like a normal thing. People didn't think about it. They were like, humans are nice as a whole. And we want to believe in the good in people. And like I said, no information superhighway. They didn't know about a lot of things. So she's trying to hitch a ride from Fairbanks to Anchorage to visit her father because her father is sick with cancer. Oh my God. This dude just picks him. So police Mm. were like, hmm. That's a suspicious disappearance, but we have no idea if anyone abducted her near Fairbanks or if I if she disappeared somewhere else between Fairbanks and Anchorage. We don't really know. So because of this, they did not immediately link her case to Doris or Glinda's. They were working on it as a separate thing. And then five months after she disappears, 16-year-old Wendy Wilson vanished. Guess what she was also doing? Riding a bike? No. Hitchhiking. Hitchhiking. Okay. Like. I'm sorry, that that charging someone on a bike image is just like seared into my brain now. And I'm like, it's my fault. It's going to be there for a minute. Take another drink. Not that that I need it, but it's okay. Um, So she's last seen hitchhiking. I can't even imagine being like, you know what's a good idea? I'm in Alaska and I'm probably surrounded by woods. Let me try to hitchhike. I would be like, no, 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 I'm good. But again, this is a normal thing during that time period, so. So a witness sees her climb into a white pickup truck, now mm. a white pickup truck, in Moose Creek. Again, Moose Creek coming up near Fairbanks. This time, it's a little bit different because three days after she disappears, her body is found mm. near Johnson Road, which is 32 miles south of Fairbanks near the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. I'll spare you the details. Please on what do. he did, because that's... We're not here for that. So, nine weeks after Wendy's body is discovered, they find Marlene. She'd also been dumped near the same road, mm-hmm. and she was found two miles from near where Wendy was dumped. So they were like, hmm. Yeah, please. Please connect. Suspicious. And she had also <laughs> oh. been killed the same way. Okay. So, like, same MO. Can I ask if she'd been dead longer, or... I do not have that information. I don't okay. know. That's a good question, though. So now I gotta tell you about Lori. Oh, man. So, two days after police recover Marlene's body, they're notified of the disappearance of a 19-year-old named Lori King. She had last been seen walking in Fairbanks. So now the Fairbanks police and the Alaska state troopers are like, wait, shit, wait, uh, we, oh, this, it's a serial killer. Hey, it's a serial killer. (laughs) That's always what you want to hear. Yeah. So Uh. soon the news media labels the string of murders of Fairbanks serial murders. And now at this point... 
Police, as well as civilian and military volunteers, are searching for Doris and Lori's bodies near the area where the other bodies have found, but they don't find anything. So they're like, okay, maybe we're wrong. Then on September 2nd, 1981, four airmen on a hunting trip come across the remains of Lori King in a wooded area near a missile site off of the Mm. same goddamn road. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I think one of the things that creeps me out about serial killers is sometimes I'm like, oh, they're hella smart and that's super creepy because they're like smart and calculating and mm-hmm. and like would I survive if I encountered one because they're probably smarter than I am but does it doesn't sound really smart to me to keep just using the same area off the same road that just sounds not smart yeah it sounds it sounds almost like it's a ritual and you know you're going to get disrupted at a certain point yeah. and you're kind of hoping that you do I don't really know Ugh. so <laughs> the article says earlier searches had somehow missed this area oh my god um so remember what you just said like maybe this person wants to be found or wants to taunt the police or who knows he'd done absolutely nothing to hide Lori's body Mm. and same mo same cause of death which i will spare you so Lori's body was found on a federal reservation oh hey hey fbi yeah so like (laughs) if he was trying to taunt the police ooh, he fucked up so i mean i mean using a little bit of spoilery detail that i've inferred here if he was military he would have known that. Or he was just a dumbass. <laughs> we don't know. One or the other. So now the FBI does join the case and a task force is formed with FBI agents, Alaska State Troopers, Eelson Air Force Base. I think I'm saying that wrong. It looks like Eelson. Eelson Air Force Base, Office of Special Investigations, that OSI, the Army's Criminal Investigation Division from the nearby Fort Wainwright, Fairbanks Police Department, and North Pole City Police. So, can, I, can I just say too many cooks, too many cooks, too many cooks. Cops. Too many cops. Yeah, but they were like, yeah, we just, we got to get this guy, so let's all do it. Meanwhile, I bet somebody's like, woo, there are no rules. All the cops are here. Uh, Alaska's probably a wild place anyway. I, I mean, know. it probably feels like here when it's like, oh, traffic violations? What are those? No one's going to stop you for I a know. traffic violation during a pandemic. Y'all, can I just say, <laughs> I've seen so many people just like tearing around my corner here at like 100 miles an hour, and I'm like, the speed limit is 35, Janice. Janice. It's third. What? Are you, and they like all drive, like no offense. I, I used to drive a bigger car too, but they're all like huge cars that why are you driving that car that fast? I mean, I understand no one's out, but you could still really hurt yourself. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. So the investigators are now like, we're definitely hunting the same person and they're really dangerous and they're a predator who is striking frequently. And somehow he's convincing young girls and women to climb into his car where then he's going to murder them Hmm. so we have this fun investigator who's like i need to understand how to organize an investigation this large okay and i am an alaska state trooper but i am going to fly down to atlanta georgia okay because there's a joint federal and state task force right now who are searching for the serial killer who is murdering young black men in atlanta oh shit Yes. Oh, that, okay. Good job. Who, who, give this person's name. His name, name is Sam Barnard. <laughs> Good he, job. <laughs> he is great and smart and awesome. That's so rare that you're just like, oh yes, good job. I feel like he should get, a, he should like be a character in Mindhunter because good job. Yeah, if they renew it, renew Mindhunter. Please renew it. God, it would be so great to have new Mindhunter episodes right now in this goddamn quarantine. Yep. Ugh. I can only watch Tiger King so many times. <sighs> Hashtag renew Mindhunter. 
Anyway, not that we're passionate about that. But not so at all. Sam Barnard, true hero, watched and learned how the Atlanta Task Force was using computer technology, which was like the cutting edge at that time, to manage and organize all the leads in the case. He's like, that's interesting. Let me take note of that. Now I have to go somewhere else and also be incredibly intelligent about how I'm doing this and synthesizing all my information. So he's like, I'm going to fly to (laughs) the Behavioral Sciences Division in Quantico, and I'm going to meet with the experts there. He needs to be a character in Mindhunter (laughs) to form a profile of the serial killer operating near Fairbanks. Hello. He probably is going to be in Mindhunter. Wait, wait. I read, okay, I've read the book Mindhunter, and I feel like Fairbanks was in there. I think- I'm telling you. Okay, wait, okay, I'm going to spoil it. Sam Barnard. Please, please renew Mindhunter. So, <laughs> at this time, when Barnard's consulting with our Mind Hunter buddies, the FBI Behavioral Service FBI Behavioral Sciences Division boasted an 85% success rate for creating accurate profiles of unknown serial killers because of a certain person who is there who the character in Mind Hunter is based on. So the psychologists in the unit use a bunch of different tools, and while FBI profiles could be used as used for only one of many tools and should not be relied on completely, but at the time it was like, this is the thing. Obviously, they have an 85% success rate. Let's go. So these unnamed profilers <laughs> told Barnard that the Fairbanks serial killer was probably single and lived alone. They said they believed the perpetrator had a hard time holding a job, and even though Doris's brother stated he thought that the man he'd seen Doris walking walking up to and talking to wore an Air Force uniform. Hmm. They said they believe the murder was a civilian. Okay. So, Barnard, but remember, 85%, not perfect. Yeah, yeah. Barnard returns to Fairbanks with his profile, and task force members now believe they had something solid for the foundation of their investigation. So, something I guess I should tell you about the MO. So, so he, he shoots them, mm-hmm. um, but he only shoots them after he's already strangled them to death. Okay. So, this is like typical serial killery business, right? Like, like overkill. Like, yeah. But also, like, watching Mindhunter, like, this person has a problem with women. Obvi. Oh, what? 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 Oh, oh my gosh. That's, that's a plot twist. I know. I saw something earlier that was like, hey, ladies, isn't it fun being obsessed with true crime? It's like if you were a live chicken watching a cooking show on how to cook a chicken, oh, and you God. were like, this is great. And I was like, uh, uh, but I no, like you crying. No, I mean, it's like the horrific nature of things that you're afraid of happening to you happening to other people. Yeah. It's bad. Uh, it's it's a strange fascination. But it is fascinating. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Yeah, because I think... we spend so much time thinking about it anyway. And well, it's I, like as women walking around in the world. Well, and I also think it's like we want to know why, right? We want to know why does this happen? What's the circumstance? What is the makeup of a serial killer? How does a mind like that work? I mean, and that is super interesting, like the yeah. psych stuff. It's like who should we actually be afraid of? Right, which ooh, we never know. So many people. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Um, oh my goodness. So what anyway, happy news. Yeah, so back to the question. They're like, why did this dude shoot the woman after he already strangled him? And then those good old quantum psychologists are like, hmm, perhaps he is repeatedly murdering someone from his past. 
and then shooting them in the face to wipe out their identity. Mm. The investigators were like, gee, thanks, that super helps us find someone. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it's haunting as a detail, but... Then these two straight state troopers, Jim McCann and Chris Stockard, take on this task of organizing and entering two and a half years worth of information, tips, and physical evidence into state computers. Then Stockard, who also had computer training, develops a program, all by himself, just develops a program, to cross-reference the items in the database, prioritizing value leads and suspects. Good job. And then an investigator on the task force from the Yielson Air Force Base Office of Special Investigations reports, hey, you know what? I've been kind of snooping around base and looking around stuff and I've identified these three guys on base who have acted inappropriately toward women in the past and maybe we should look into them. Wow, maybe you should. Yeah. So he was like, yeah, I just, I really, I have a hunch about this. Can we, can we pursue it? And one of the three men he identified was a technical sergeant who was named Thomas Richard Bunday. Wow. He's wow. a 33-year-old electrical es- expert. Oh, man. I I just if hate... If people called him Ted, I'm gonna I mean, flip my lid. <laughs> wait, was his first name Theodore? It was Thomas. Holy f- Richard f- fucking fuck. Bunday. So, fucking fuck. <laughs> all his co-workers are like, you know, come to think of it, he repeatedly shows dis- disrespect towards women. Yeah. And then there was a woman who was like, yeah, I've worked with him, and he's verbally abusive to the point where I'm afraid of him. And I think, like, she was, you know, like a military worker of some sort. I'm not, I don't think she was in the military, but obviously she was like on bases her whole life. So like she's used to the culture. So for her to be like, yeah, I'm afraid of him. That's like telling. Mm. So the task force was like, hmm, we're not going to dismiss you as a possible suspect, but you're not too high on our list, buddy, because you don't fit that FBI profile that we got before. (sighs) So they were like super, super into like, they're like, no, he's, he's got to be a civilian who's single, lived alone, and can't hold the job. Bunday was married, had children, was enlisted mm. in the military, and maintaining a great job as an electrician. So they were like, mm, yep, yeah, bottom of the list, here's some other guys who fit the profile a lot better than you. So they considered him a possible but unlikely suspect. I mean, that's that's a really strange thing, because like, I mean, like, from reading Mindhunter, we hear so much about serial killers who go into the military, who go into the police force, and then get kicked out for whatever reason. Right, but and he I... he didn't. He didn't, but I also feel like now he would definitely get kicked out for like all his inappropriate comments towards women yeah i know unfortunately like the culture back then was probably a lot more accepting of like sexist and crass jokes and stuff yeah but it seems like he was way Mm. over that line too yeah if you're making women actually afraid of you you're obviously not doing it in a way that's like oh i hear this all the time it sucks but i hear it so i think somebody just missed firing this guy yeah yeah maybe, maybe there just weren't enough uh military officers in alaska he's an electrician electrician in alaska i mean what's uh, probably an electrician's mate if that's a thing in in the the air force Um, yeah. So after Lori is murdered in May of 1991, all abductions and murders stop. Okay. Did he go to jail? Uh, Did he move? Did well, he? Yeah. Okay. I'm just listing the the <laughs> most the most frequent reasons why serial killers stop is because they go to jail, they move, or they die. <laughs> so one and a half years later, in November of 1982, the task force is like, "Man, <laughs> this dude's either dead in prison in the hospital, or maybe he moved." So okay, they yeah. were like. <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, you know what? Maybe we should look back into some military people. Even though the FBI said that it probably wasn't, we're going to look at that and see who transferred outside the state in the past 18 months. So mm. they were scouring all the records of recent transfers from the Air Force Base and contacted police agencies near other U.S. Air Force bases around the world and asked them to be on the lookout for and to report any murders that were similar to the ones perpetrated in Fairbanks. Like, kind of an all-points bulletin thing. Like, mm. like be aware. Like, talking to each other. Good first Whoa. step. Oh, <laughs> Communication. Whoa. Yay. The list of transferred Air Force personnel included our friend Bundy. He had transferred to Shepherd Air Force Base near Wichita Falls, Texas. And it happened on September ni- 1981, exactly one week after hunters had discovered the body of Lori King near Johnson Road. Then Wichita Falls police call back and they're like, hey, uh, we did recently investigate a murder similar to the ones in Fairbanks. What? Well, you uh, don't say. But we kind of believe that the woman, the woman we have here was killed by a drug dealer who we killed. So, that's so you know. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, they were like, oh, we believe that this w- woman that we found who was murdered in a way similar yeah. that you're talking about was killed by this drug dealer. That, so like, they killed their suspect. Well, and... I guess like, yeah, they don't really elaborate, but I guess it was uh, just like, okay, you know, well. maybe they did a sting or something and they end up in a shootout with him. But the task force noted Bundy's resemblance to the drawing made from oh, yikes. Doris's brother's description of the man he'd seen talking to his sister. sister. It takes them it's almost this like long. You had that evidence. You had it. It takes them. And so they're like, who? we should bring in this kid and show him some photos of suspects. Let's do a photo lineup. And he's like, oh yeah, it's that guy. He points straight to Bundy in a lineup and has absolutely no trouble picking out a photo of Bundy's car as a vehicle whose driver he had seen talking to his sister oh two God. days before she was abducted. I'm not going to throw the microphone across the room. Then troopers were like, hmm. <laughs> and they interview his neighbors in Alaska and his co-workers and most are like, oh yeah, that, that dude was a real shitbag. Like, oh boy, he's unlikable. He's a loner. Uh, he just keeps a load of guns in his house. Is that his picture? Yep. He looks like an actor. Yeah, it's really weird. Like, it's also strange like how his hair is all kind of not great, but then his mustache is perfectly Yeah, trained. like he's expertly groomed except for his hair, which is just like balding in patches and all over the place. Yeah. That's, oh, that's disturbing in a different way. I don't know. <laughs> in 1983, our good buddy Sam Barnard flies into Shepard Air Force Base and he's like, I'm gonna be the one to interview you, buddy. I like that. Yeah, go Sam. Bundy agrees. Bundy, sorry. Bundy. <laughs> agrees. It's, it's an easy slip to make. To answer Barnard's questions, but he's like, yeah, I'll answer your questions, but I don't want to take a lie detector test. And, you know, you can't search my home, and you also can't get any of my hair. Good old Sam's like, alright, we're gonna play hardball. Go through his trash. And he's like, hey. Hey, Bundy. Hey, Bundy. Bundy. Hey, bro. Uh, I just want to let you know, you know that girl Doris? You know how her, like, older brother rode up on the bike and, and saw you? Well, uh, she identified a photo of you as the man he saw talking to his sister. And Bundy just was like, no response. I'm, I'm just going to clam up. So Barner's like, shit. He returns to Fairbanks and said, hey, I don't believe we have solid evidence against this dude. Maybe we should investigate other suspects. But the rest of shouldn't. But the rest of the test force is like, no, man. No, that's that's our guy. And we, we got to hone in on him. So now we get McCann and Stockard. That sounds like a, got like a 50s TV show. Well, they were, the, it does. <laughs> McCann and Stockard. But they were the ones who were like, ooh, let's develop this cool computer database. Yeah. 
Remember that? So, I, I remember the computer database. Yeah. Well, I'm listening. Sure. <laughs> so in 1983, March 7th, uh, that's pretty close to this date, they fly into Texas and meet with Texas State and Federal Police and the Air Force's OSI, Office of Special Investigations. The OSI agreed to place a loose surveillance on Bunday. Okay. So McCann and Stockard rent two rooms at a local motel for their headquarters and then they're like, hey, Bunday, you want to stop by so we can talk to you? Just have a little chitty chat, casual conversation? And he was like, yes. Because I love taunting the police. McCann and Stockard had a really good deal and interrogation technique because they got Bunday to like them. And he seemed to really like them. Wow, what show does that happen on? They note that he only provides vague responses to their questions, but he never denies killing the women near North Hall. Mm. And at one point, he makes a really strange comment and says, you know, I had trouble with girls in Alaska. Wow. So McCann and Sackard are like, hey man, it was really great talking to you today. You want to come back tomorrow so we can continue this great conversation? And he's like, yeah, my dude. So this time they're like, all right, we're going to go in harder, you know, because now he kind of knows us. He seems to like us. We have a good rapport. So they tell him, we know that you killed those women in Alaska and we know how and when you killed them, but we just don't really understand why. Can you, can you explain that to us? Oh yeah. And we also know that you killed a woman in Texas and we absolutely know you're guilty. So you're either going to spend the rest of your life in an Alaskan prison or a cell in Texas. And you know, in Texas, you're going to face the death penalty. Oh, and then he clams up. Mm. But by the end of this four hour interview, he starts to cry. Oh, poor him. And so they're like, Hey, can you come back tomorrow? And he's like, wait, they let him go. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what their, what their play was on that. Okay, oh, I, like the surveillance is happening, so that's... Their surveillance is ugh. happening. Oh my god, how do you let him walk out of that room? So he walks out, they're like, come back tomorrow. He comes back, but this time he doesn't stay. Instead, he just comes in and hands them a note. And all the note says is like, I didn't murder anybody. That's convincing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the next day, McCann Stockard, an FBI agent, and a representative from the Wichita Falls District Attorney's Office, and Shepard OSI observers, too many cops, too, too many. Yeah. present the Bundays, because remember he has a wife and children. Oh, God with damn a, it. His poor wife. With a search yeah. warrant, and they spend 12 hours searching their home and vehicles. They find ammunition consistent with the ammunition used in the Alaska murders, newspaper clippings about the Alaska murders, Oof. red flag. One oh. of these times we should play red flag, red wine when we're when we're going through these oh, stories. No. Uh, we'll just, just get progressively more drunk. Red flag, red wine is a game that was invented by us while watching Phantom of the Opera 2000. Um, every time there's a red flag that, you know, you should be like, oh, well, fuck, this seems like a bad situation. Maybe I should leave. You drink some red wine and you stop drinking like 20 minutes into the movie or else you die. We encourage you to play this game while listening to our podcast, but please drink responsibly. Enjoy your quarantine. <laughs> um, and they also find surveillance type photos of young girls. Another red flag. All of them. Let's gather all the red flags up and have a red flag party. Red flag bonfire. Again, Bundy agrees to meet with troopers at 9 a.m. the following morning. But instead, he shows up at their motel room at 8 a.m., catching them Mm. off guard. He gets there, and he's like, okay, I murdered five women in Alaska. And he tells the troopers that he got rid of Doris's body in a remote section of the Air Force Base. So... 
McCann and Stockard now feel helpless. They're like, crap, this guy just gave us his confession, but we have no authority to arrest anyone in Texas, Mm. and Texas police need a warrant to arrest someone for crimes committed in Alaska. But then Bundy tells the troopers, hey, I'll voluntarily return to Alaska with you. But they're like, we can't escort you to Alaska until we have proper paperwork. And without a warrant for his arrest, they can't restrain him. So if he suddenly changes his mind during a stopover in Seattle, they have no authority to stop him, and they might never be able to find him again. Bundy promises McCann and Stockard he would return to their motel room the following morning once they had the proper warrant. So the following day, they're like, all right, we have these warrants, and guess who doesn't show up? Oh my god, this is so stressful. So, they call his house, and his wife is like, oh, Richard is riding his motorcycle, but I expect him to meet me at one o'clock in the afternoon at the local H&R block office so we can work on our tax return. Oh no. This poor woman. How does she not it's freaked fucking, out by now? It's fucking March, y'all. She's got to work on her. She's got to file jointly it's like, with her husband. Okay. It's like, oh, the authorities are telling me my husband might be a serial killer, but we got to get our taxes. We got it. Got you know the IRS. We're gonna come after me. I got to get my taxes done. Hell or high water. The sad, the sad thing is, I probably would. I, <laughs> I know. God. She was like, oh, hey, this this was happening at the time. Listen, you know what was happening in my life. God. <laughs> so the OSI surveillance team is like, guess what we gotta do? Go to H&R Block. So they go to the H&R Block and they stake it out. That tax office. Oh man, I just want the, the little FBI agents to be like wearing visors, <laughs> like inside, just like peeking out from underneath being like, yeah, we work in H&R Block. Where's your, uh, where's your uh, tax stuff? Um, we know what we're talking Give about. Give us your tax paper. <laughs> form that has lots of letters and numbers that's what we know yep it's it's a letter and then it's a number Mm -hmm. and uh we got this (laughs) how are you filing so they waited for him outside the hr block but when bundy and his wife left the office oh god my soul has left my body (laughs) the team mistakenly follows her car instead of pursuing on his fucking motorcycle you know he's on a motorcycle you know i mean do you think so mccann and stockard are like tick tock tick tock we're waiting impatiently for bundy to arrive at their motel room or for local police to call and say we got him we're the local police and we did it Uh." and as they waited this is the dramatic part dark this is the dramatic part dark clouds rolled over (laughs) wichita falls and the skies burst with a heavy downpour bundy's like "Ooh, it's raining it's downpouring i'm gonna speed the fuck out of here on my motorcycle but then it begins to rain and he's like oh i gotta turn around and he started back towards town he stopped under an overpass trying to wait out the rain he pulled mccann's and stockard's business cards from his wallet placed them carefully on a rock where he was sure they would be found then continued on his way driving at a carelessly fast rate of speed in the pouring rain he swerved in front of a large dump truck coming toward him in the other lane and the driver of the truck tried to avoid the collision by turning away from him but he pursued the truck and crashed into it just behind the cab he died instantly and that was it oh my god analysis of the forensic evidence found at the bundy home indicated some of the hairs collected from his truck belonged to wendy wilson and the shotgun Mm. shells found in his home were manufactured in the same bunch as the shells used to shoot laurie king and wendy wilson 
1986, which was three years after Bundy's death and a few months after Doris should have graduated from high school, her skull was found in a remote section of the Air Force base. Fuck. This person says, when she began researching this case, she read two articles stating that Thomas Richard Bundy case was one of the first cases where investigators successfully used an FBI profile to identify and catch a murder. This does not sound successful. She <laughs> says, unfortunately, this statement couldn't be farther from the truth. If not for the misleading psychological profile handed, handed down from the behavioral scientist at Quantico, we still love you, Mindhunter. Troopers would likely have identified and captured Bundy much sooner than they did and possibly even before he left the state of Alaska. She says, and I quote, this case demonstrates that while a behavioral profile might be useful, it is only one tool and nothing beats hours of investigation, data collection, forensic evidence, and common sense. End quote. And that is the story of a serial killer named Bundy instead of Bundy and North Pole and Fairbanks. And wow, what a ride. I just would say don't hitchhike. That's that's yeah. that's what I get from that. Just don't. But also. I, I, does it even exist anywhere? I don't know. Don't can, do it. Can I add on? Don't murder people who ask you for a ride. That seems like. I mean, <laughs> that's just good old human decency. You know, it's like don't don't hitchhike is one side of it, but also don't do murder. Another side. Shocking how that's a part of it. Definitely don't do murder. Please don't murder at everyone. Okay, um, now it's your turn, yay! Uh, so, um, as we proceed, I just want to point out that I also picked an Alaskan serial killer. Well, yeah, I mean, we're, our topic is Alaska yeah. and murders. Who also killed five people. Oh, boy. And a bicycle was an operative part of one of the murders. Hey, oh, we don't talk. <laughs> about our cases before this like we just kind of both retreat to our own little corners read our stuff and do our research and then like she'll just call across the room to me like hey this is when mine took place in this year don't do anything from that year and I'm like okay I won't and that's it that's all that we talk about during our research time so this is weird yep we uh we are nothing if not consistent we're uh, married <laughs> <laughs> alright the story I chose was James Dale Richie, which just like look at this photo. Okay, he looked like he would be on the Tiger King. Number one, number <laughs> two, never trust a person with three first names. I'm sorry if you have three first names, but but no. yeah, it's a, it's a bad starting point. Oh, uh, another point of the story was also killed before he could be arrested. Wow. Well, was he actually killed or was he like I'm going on my own terms, bitches? Like the he guy was I just act did. actually killed. Okay, that and he wouldn't have been caught or identified as killer if he hadn't been killed, which is kind of the most horrific aspect of this to me. I hate it. I hate it. Okay, I'll get there. I'll get there. Um, so, kid grows up in Anchorage, Alaska. Born 1976. Does pretty good in school. Gets good grades on the SATs. Uh, scored a 1200. I bet I have no idea what the, what the actual scale is at that point. 1600 is the scale at that point. Oh, okay. So that's not... I not mean, so good. Okay. Like, it's decent though. Think about getting a 600 in each category. That's like Yeah, decent. not bad. So, heads off to West Virginia University, drops out, comes back, ends up making some not-great friends. Uh, this is 1995, uh, and adopts a street named Tiny as he goes about doing, you know, his dog fighting and drug dealing. Can we talk about street names for one second? You can, yep, go for it. <laughs> how is Tiny intimidating, number one? Number two, how is Corn Pop intimidating? I don't Who know. is like, I'm gonna be so tired. 
tough that I'm gonna name myself Tiny, or I'm so tough that my name is Corn Pop and I'm gonna strike fear into the hearts of men. Corn Pop, you're named after a breakfast cereal. My name will echo across the nation from the mouth of Joe Biden. Corn Pop, 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 Pop. pop. I, don't, I just, like, what? <laughs> street names. Somebody explain to me how your how your street name is going to be something that is not intimidating at all. It's, it's kind of, I mean, the way I think about it, it's like roller derby names and drag names. It's like you pick them and sometimes you make a bad choice. I think Tiny was a bad choice. Unless <laughs> he was like, oh, it's a joke because I'm not Tiny. I'm big. Yeah, I don't know. I think, psh, I don't know. I, I don't know. He looks like one of the elves from Lord of the Rings is my, uh. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, like, look at this. Look at this police sketch. I mean, yeah. In the yeah. police, in the police sketch he does, but in yeah. real life. He look. He looks like, um. He looks like a truck El- driver. Elrond or whatever. The, uh, council dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If he was a, if Elrond was a truck driver. It's like Lee Pace Elrond. Please sketch actual photo. Well, the police sketch made him look much more glamorous than he actually is, I must say. Okay. You're welcome, dead serial killer, for looking glamorous. No, in real <laughs> life, though, he looks definitely like a serial killer. Okay. Well, the operative part of this is that while he was in Virginia, he lent his handgun to somebody. Oh, is that lent in quotation marks or in quotation marks? I can talk. While he was in Virginia, he had no court appearances except for two moving violations. He didn't even have his registered handgun on him. He lent it to an acquaintance. An acquaintance is in quotes. Okay. (laughs) Uh, it was a Colt Python, which is, like, fucking cool name for a gun. It which is, is a cool name for a gun. Yeah. But guns are bad. Yeah. Guns are tools, not toys. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, like, okay. No, I mean, I, uh, yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's just a weird, funny yeah. saying. It's so like, strange. fish are friends, not food. <laughs> yeah. I like fish, yeah. If you don't need I, a gun, don't have a gun. I like um, So, anyway, uh, he returned to Anchorage, became tiny, dogfighting, drug dealing. Actually sought help for mental health, but... Because, you know, we'll get to this later in the story, but because the police did such a great job, we'll never know if he actually received a diagnosis or how far that treatment went. Oh, no. So, murder. Uh, several of them. So, I'll skip the nitty-gritty, but essentially he'd go out early in the morning to trails and parks and just shoot people that he found there. Like, random. Apparently, for the most part. Like, there's no specific... Who knows if... Like, the information on this is so scant. Like, again, this is... He he was caught slash killed in 2016. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. The first couple that he murdered was a homeless woman and a man with an extensive record of run-ins with the law, as well as substance abuse problems, and he shot the two of them on July 3rd, 2016. It was 20-year-old Brianna Fosey and 41-year-old Jason Netter. And the two bodies were discovered together along a bike path near Ship Creek by a bicyclist at 7.45 a.m. on the same day. So it seems like it was random. Like, he just walked out into the woods and shot the people who were there at the time. Well, and he just left them there. Like, yeah. it seems like he didn't try to hide it, didn't move them anywhere. Okay. Yeah, but here's where it gets specific. The third recorded murder was 26 days later on July 29th. Also early morning, 3 a.m., Richie shoots 21-year-old, uh, uh, this pause is because I can't say this name. Did Trayvon Kindle Thompson. Trayvon Kindle Thompson. 
the son of his childhood friend Bobby Thompson. Oh, this So this ha- also happens in East Anchorage, but this time there are witnesses. Three girls spot Richie lingering in the woods and hear gunfire. Then they see him grab Thompson's bicycle. He rides the bicycle away and keeps it at his house. Though oh, because that's a good thing to do when you murder somebody. Take take something directly from them and just keep it from- at your house, probably in plain sight. Also, oh, yeah. like, that's such a weird image. Just, like, this I, guy I- riding a bicycle yeah, away you, from the crime scene. Like, you shoot your friend's son, take his bike, ride it home, and leave it out front of your house. That's, like, almost like a taunt, I feel. Yeah. Well, it was identified, like, it was it was seen by witnesses, but not identified. Yeah. While it was at his home. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So this is when we get the composite sketch. Where that- he looks like an elf from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he looks like fucking Lee Pace. <laughs> uh, nothing against Lee Pace. I think you're an amazing actor. <laughs> but it looks like center part, long flowing hair, heavy brows, and elfin features. They make it's him like, look so much more gentle there, though, than he does in real life. Like, yeah. he, in real life, his real life picture, like, that's a dude who I'd be like, oh yeah, he might kill me. Yeah. The composite sketch, I'm like, I don't know, something's a little off about your eyes, but... But, like, he might be a LARPer, like, I hey. <laughs> I love LARPing. It's it's not, I'm I'm not being mean oh, about that. Oh, you've outed yourself as I've, a LARPer. Um, I'm so sorry, everyone who had any faith in me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, continue. All right. So this is when we get the sketch because we have three witnesses, three young girls who apparently he didn't notice, which is, you know, good for them. Less. <laughs> good for them. Yeah. About a month later, August 28th, there's another double homicide. 34-year-old Kevin Turner, 25-year-old Bryant DeHudson um, in Valley of the Moon Park. Also early in the morning, the body is discovered at 1.42 a.m., which is probably shortly after the crime occurred as opposed to the others. Uh, An unidentified female passerby discovered the body and gave evidence to police. So Turner is a really important person in this case because he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. He was homeless at the time. He had not done well at assisted living facilities. And DeHudson was a notable environmental activist in Anchorage who was thought by his father to be doing a late night bicycle ride to meet a friend. There was no relation between DeHudson Turner. It was such a random... Ah. Yeah. It was truly like he saw these two people in this place in isolation and this kind of confirms that his MO was just besides the one murder where he killed his friend's son in a seemingly random act between these two apparently random double murders. Yeah, that's really strange. Like, it seems like he just has like a a kill drive. Like, we hear like some murders like Israel Keys, who we didn't talk about in this episode because Uh, he's the most obvious well, well, we should wrap up with him or i yeah. mean we won't tell it but we'll just yeah we'll, acknowledge we'll, yeah sound yeah good plan so authorities had matched the weapon from the first double homicide to thompson's murder and now at this point even though this article doesn't say it and i'm on wikipedia double checking all the sources with articles in the source notes I'm sure they had also identified the weapon as being the same as those first three murders in this most recent double murder. 
So the FBI comes in. They don't announce that all these murders are related. They blame it on gang violence. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're offering a reward of $10,000 for Thompson's murder, but not for the others. And here is my very favorite quote. My very favorite part of this, actually. Thompson's mother, Mandy Primo, conducted an independent investigation. Hell yeah, Mandy. Yeah, yeah. With her infant child in the car, she figured out who the fuck killed her son, drove around, found him, saw that he was armed, and was ready to confront him when she called the police and said, I got him. I found him. Like, I, I'm gonna confront him. And the police said, no. Well, the 911 dispatcher said, no, don't do that. Mandy needs a TV show. Mandy. We need a TV show about Mandy yep. doing her own investigation and finding this guy and being ready to, like, throw down with dude who killed her son. Yeah. Oh, I, I correct myself. Uh, She did call the lieutenant directly, not 911. Um, so she calls the lieutenant and she says, dude, I know this is the guy. And she follows that with, I think he had a gun in his hand and I didn't care, which presumably is said to the radio stations interviewing her KTUU at a later date. I think he had a gun in his hand and I didn't care, Primo said. I already told the cops I was gonna plead insanity. She <laughs> was ready to go down! <laughs> yep. She was ready to kill an MFR for killing yep. her son! I mean, Yo, I mean, like, murder's not cool in any context, but, like, don't mess with a mama bear. That's all all I'm saying. Holy shit. Yeah, it's like all the women in this story are the ones solving the case. Mandy is a badass. Like, yep. usually in my brain in situations like that, I have the, like, shout out to my favorite murder, but I have the, like, stay sexy, don't get murdered, like, on loop and repeat, instead of, like, stay sexy and go get the fucker. Like, seriously. Yeah, stay sexy and go get the fucker. Wow. <laughs> yep. Mandy, hero. Oh, man. So, my God. So... Here's what finally brings him down. Not fucking Mandy solving the fucking case. And there's literally no explanation in any of these sources why the police did not pursue her conclusions. Besides, I guess they thought, oh, civilian mother driven mad by grief, blah, 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 Victorian stereotypes. Yeah, I have absolutely no idea why her work did not pay off. Oh, they were like, we're just not gonna listen to you? I mean, apparently, like, every every article I've seen about this, and again, it's so recent, and I'm sure it'll come out later, when people retire and aren't afraid to say shit anymore. But, uh, yeah, all of these just end with, oh, she was convinced not to confront the subject. I'm just like, I mean, mm. big wow, but also, like, I'm glad she's still alive. Who knows what would have happened? It does sound like she just would have went bonk on him and like maybe killed him but yeah. also i'm glad she's okay because she seems awesome and she had a baby in the car a baby yeah. in the car which was like the one like and eh, maybe yeah. maybe don't do maybe that maybe don't do it <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah. like glad she's safe that worked out and they do get this guy eventually right but does mm, he murder another of. person first so Speaking of all these random acts not. of violence, there's a call to 911 about an unpaid taxi fare. Okay. There's some kind of altercation over an unpaid taxi fare. I feel like I've heard this one before. Mm. Yeah, so an officer pulls up, in a and this is still in Anchorage. We haven't left Anchorage. So he pulls up next to a man walking along the sidewalk. And again, this is the early morning. Presumably to be like, did you witness this crime? Richie, who is the man walking along, and this dash, dash cam footage is chilling. Like, I mean, because you, you know what's about to happen. Richie keeps walking. The officer repeats the question over the megaphone, orders him to stop. Richie turns around 
and shoots him multiple times. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Same gun. He hits him six times, resulting in damage to his bones, intestines, and liver. The officer exits his vehicle and returned fire. Wow. Yeah. Um, a nearby sergeant spotted the confrontation and fired on Richie, killing him. And oh, this okay. is this is literally how they catch him because he was he had the gun on him that he used for all of the murders. Well, it's that's like the one of the from, I for, I don't even know what the most horrifying aspect of this is for me. Like but, you're like if he hadn't had that gun on him, like they yeah. wouldn't have known. Yeah. Then they would have been like, oh, some linked murders. Uh, we are definitely uh, trying to catch this guy and using all leads available. And this victim's mother who solved the case before us. Uh, yeah, we're definitely following those links. Um, yeah, even though she was like, hi, I'm screaming about this. And this like, is the guy. I like, know him and I know he killed my like, son. They're like, yeah, that's cool. But yeah, like call the lieutenant. I am looking at this guy. And I'm going to kill him right now. Yeah. Or like, oh, I'm going to at least mess him up right now. <laughs> Also, he's armed and I don't give a shit. Uh, yeah. Uh, tell the judge I plead insanity in advance. I'm just like, I wish there was more of an explanation in this story about why things weren't followed. What, I mean, the FBI came in and the result immediately after that was that they announced it was gang related, which makes no sense. Well, do you think they were doing a thing where they released something that isn't necessarily true to try to camouflage what they're really on to and like if the killer is paying attention to the media to throw them off the trail as well because sometimes that is a smart move yeah that's i mean that's a good point if they knew that the same gun had been used repeatedly if they they didn't want to point that out and prompt the killer to get rid of the weapon right yeah which good thing he didn't and he was still yeah a dumbass but i mean it was complete chance like this uh, and the officer lives by the way who was shot six times oh good yeah but it's complete chance that he pulls up behind him and like it's this dash cam footage is so casual it's like sir did you see the altercation back there and like you can tell like oh he thinks like oh maybe he was in that altercation with the taxi driver Mm -hmm. but he has no idea who this guy is right and there's no reason for this yeah. dude to just turn around and shoot him for asking that question. Yeah, right. it's truly just like there was no safety net between this guy and the world around him. And he could just go out and do these random killings. It's like super strange because like I have mixed feelings about law enforcement, right? Because I think we all have. But the fact that this dude had the fortitude to get shot, what, six times and get his ass out of the car and be like, <laughs> no, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And then yeah. he lives. Like kudos. Good good job. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Yeah. All right. Ugh. Yeah, so anyway, that's a serial killer we know next to nothing about who was just wandering around until about four years ago and who was caught by chance. I wonder if he killed anyone else. Yeah. Uh well his Wikipedia entry says five plus because we mm. know about five victims. Well, but it sounds like the way he was doing things, like, he was just kind of leaving them. So, maybe that is really it. Maybe. I mean, his crime started in July and ended in August. So, it sounds more like a spree than anything else. Yeah. He was a 40 when he started killing, I know. which... and usually like, they, they start they much earlier. They start late. I know. And, like, I wonder if West Virginia is looking at anything. I wonder, because, because it is recent still. Yeah, and I mean, he lent his that gun to someone else so they wouldn't be able to identify the weapon he used in West Virginia. Shady. shady I think it's shit. like 17 shades behind shady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shady shit. Okay. Well, that's uplifting. <laughs> but we would be so remiss talking about Alaskan serial killers if we did not talk about Israel fucking keys. 
I mean, I feel like we're not going to tell his whole story. We are not, but we're going to acknowledge that we're it's fucking terrifying. We're going to acknowledge, like, <laughs> honestly, listen, we're both true crime junkies. We listen to all the podcasts out there. We watch all the shows. That's who we are. We like that. We like creepy shit. We like ghost stories. And up until, I would say it was last year, we had no idea about Israel fucking keys until we listened to a podcast and holy shit. Like, we listened to a book. Let me get. Let oh, me find the book. That's what it was. Keep it was talking. I'll find the book. So we listened to a book, and holy shit! Like, how did we, as true crime junkies, not know about him because he's terrifying and killed so many people? And just wow! And like recent, pretty recent. Yeah, and like he was killing around in Vermont while I was going to visit my friend there multiple times during that span. But also, like his wasn't his span like over thirty years or something? Didn't it was it was a ridiculously long time. Didn't he he, like started in the 70s and like they caught oh, him no, in the no. 2000s no or... i mean he was still relatively young when they caught him right but i mean he started when he was like a teen right yeah but thing? like not in the 70s oh, okay. yeah yeah but anyway so the book is called american predators by maureen callahan uh the audiobook is chilling uh we can vouch um so go good, ahead though. go ahead and listen if you if you are a person actually listening to our podcast like three whole people do in this world thanks friends and moms yeah we definitely recommend this audiobook to you. It's very good. If you like this, you'll like that so much more because we're still starting out. We're going to get funnier, we promise. We, but keep, the, we keep promising. But the book itself <laughs> isn't funny. It's just very, very good, well-written, audiobook-wise, well-read. It's it's so upsetting. It will keep you up at night. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, Israel Keys talk about a road trip all over the continental <laughs> United States. Talk about a road trip. Yeah, it's like you just... Oh boy, what a like, road trip down. So just like a Sparknotes version, he buried kill kits all over the United States, flew to those various locations again, committed the murders, and flew back to Alaska. And I don't even want to go into... Fuck, fuck, fuck. Um, yeah, no, we're not... We're gonna just encourage you to read or listen to this very good book called American Predator. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow, we had a book (laughs) recommendation corner... Look at us. (laughs) Look at it. We're so professional. Doing all the things for all the rest of the people who are also probably in quarantine like us. So listen to your podcast, hopefully this one, read your books uh, or listen to your books. You know, just find ways, keep cozy and stay inside and find new things to keep your interest. Yeah, definitely find something new to keep you up at night among this global pandemic. So uplifting. (laughs) Thanks for that. Yep. Uh, Do you remember the sign off? Keep it weird, keep it wonderful. Stay. Stay weird, weird. stay wonderful. Yes. You say one, I say the other. Okay. All right, everyone. So that's going to wrap it up for us, but we're going to be doing a lot more episodes in the forthcoming days, probably, because this is this this keeps our, our interest and we can do it because we're just, you know, stuck inside like the rest of you. Yeah, so and I, I need fun activities like audio editing to keep myself sane. So, uh, hell yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening, mom. Thank you for listening, moms and friends. So keep it weird. Keep what? No, stay. Stay weird. Stay wonderful. Signing off. See you next time. See ya. Bye. Bye.